If you have diabetes, a flu shot could save your life. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and joining me today is Dr. William Schaffner, professor and chairman of the Department of Preventive Medicine and professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine in Nashville, Tennessee. In addition, Dr. Schaffner serves as vice president of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. Welcome to the show, Dr. Schaffner. Well, Dr. Caskill, it's good to be with you. Let's talk a little bit about the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases campaign. They're trying to improve influenza vaccination, and I'm wondering how did this get to be such a high priority for you guys? Well, the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases was organized in order to promote prevention of infectious diseases. So vaccines obviously come to the fore, and the annual influenza vaccination campaign is an obvious cornerstone of our activity. And we try to educate both the profession as well as the public. So we want the profession to give it, and we want the public to get it. So how y'all doing with it down there? So far, so good. Actually, I got my vaccination just yesterday. Our medical center is intent on beating the national average of healthcare workers that are vaccinated because if we don't get vaccinated, can we really promote vaccination among our patients? So, you know, the national average is a paltry 50%. So we hover right at that in years past, and we're shooting for 75% this year. Well, why diabetics? What happens to a diabetic differently than someone without diabetes when they get the flu? Diabetes has long been among those people that the CDC recommends for annual influenza vaccination. And there are a series of things that contribute to that. People with diabetes may have some reduced immune function that can lead to increased morbidity and mortality from influenza infection, as well as the bacterial pneumonia and other complications that can follow. And it works the other way around, too. The influenza infection can actually uh, bollocks up your glucose control and can send people into ketoacidosis or, at the very least, hyperglycemia. So we don't like that. And the data show that people with diabetes are six times, get this, six times more likely to be hospitalized with the complications of influenza and three times more likely to die of influenza than their age-stratified counterparts who don't have diabetes. Makes sense to immunize them. We could save the system some money. That, and we'd like to keep people out of the hospital. You know, so diabetes and influenza are not a good mixture, so we'd like to keep them apart. Bill, should we be immunizing our diabetics with the first lot that we get into our offices? Call them all up and get diabetics first. Short answer, yes. Actually, as long as you use the vaccine, that's good, and keep vaccinating. This year, we're lucky. We're going to have over 130 million doses of influenza vaccine available. That's more than we've ever had. So when you get the vaccine in your office, start vaccinating and try to figure out some way to notify your especially high-risk patients to come on in and get the vaccine, you're ready to give it. With new EMRs, it gets easier because you can run a report, actually, and just put in uh, diabetes as the, or 250, and you get a printout of all your diabetic patients. Give them a call or email or postcard. Exactly. And some offices do that. Others' offices are not as able to do that. But if they announce that influenza vaccine is available, y'all come in, that'll help. 
What about timing? If they get vaccinated now, are they good for the whole season? Do you ever give a booster in February? Anything like that? We used to worry about uh, timing, but we don't anymore. The studies show quite nicely that if you immunize now, here we are in October, the immunity will carry over into next March and April. So we're not as concerned about the timing. What we just want to do is make sure that everybody gets vaccinated. Let's say a word perhaps about timing at the other end. There are folks who somehow don't manage to get themselves organized to come in and get the vaccine now in October, November. Keep vaccinating, I say to docs, beyond Thanksgiving into December and January. Flu peaks in this country for the most part, on average, we know it's fickle, but on average in February. So if you get vaccinated, even in early January, your patients will have had their immunity boosted such that they're ready for influenza in February. It's good to know because I I think we don't do that. So I have learned something today. I will keep immunizing, keep ordering more flu. What's this year's strain? What's in the shot this year? Each year, you know, we uh, shotgun a bit. We pick three strains, one B strain, because B is always usually creating small outbreaks. It kind of smolders along all the time. And then there are two A strains. And we try to cover the waterfront. And even if those gray-haired eminences that pick these strains have a cloudy crystal ball and they don't pick the exact strain, the vaccine virtually always offers some partial protection. And that will turn a severe case of influenza into a milder case. So even if we don't prevent the disease entirely, we've protected you against the complications. And I guess, Larry, that's worth emphasizing. The main thrust of influenza vaccination is not the elimination of disease. We're not, the vaccine's not that good, it, but it's a pretty good vaccine. And what it does is reduce the occurrence of those bacterial complications and reduce mortality. And if we can do that, we're really happy. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special series focused on diabetes. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking with Dr. William Schaffner, professor and chairman of the Department of Preventive Medicine and professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine in Nashville, Tennessee. In addition, Dr. Schaffner serves as vice president of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. We're talking about the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases campaign to improve influenza vaccination rates in our diabetic patients. Bill, I'm wondering how good these wise men are in, or have been in the past few years in terms of picking strains. Uh, have they ever done any studies to see how good they are? Oh, yeah. They look back and give themselves a report card all the time. And they're about 60 to 70 percent spot on. So that's not bad given the mutability of influenza viruses, particularly the A viruses. And as I say, even when they're not spot on, when you have a drifted strain of a slightly altered antigenic composition, the vaccine still offers partial protection. What if our diabetics have an egg allergy? If they have an egg allergy, then you're into ancillary aspects of influenza prevention, which most of those are appropriate for all of us anyway. Can we still use the the nasal one, or is that even egg-based? The nasal spray vaccine, two things about that. First of all, the virus is raised in eggs also. 
So I'm afraid the allergy pertains to it. And unless your physician is willing to give it on an off-label indication, the nasal spray vaccine is licensed for use now from two years up to age 50, but in healthy persons. This is a quirk of how the studies were done. There's nothing about diabetes and this nasal spray vaccine that would be a contraindication. It's just that no diabetic patients were in the case series that were presented to the FDA. So it shouldn't stop us from using nasal if that's all we can get. Now, hand washing is absolutely critical. It will help you reduce acquiring uh, influenza virus. Another thing is to promote in your home and amongst those with whom you work what we're now calling cough and sneeze etiquette, which means that if you can't reach for a tissue before you cough and sneeze, raise up your elbow and sneeze into the crook of your elbow. Bend your head down, and that will reduce transmission. And then if you're diabetic, and particularly if you have some underlying heart disease or lung disease, and you know that influenza is in the community, you'll know it from the TV and the newspapers, it's time to rent the movie rather than going out to the movie. Stay out of the crowds for a while. That's all pretty good advice. It's common sense, but I don't think a lot of people practice that. What's the cost of a campaign like the one that the National Foundation has to get the word out? It costs some money, and you have me embarrassed because I'm out there campaigning, and the folks in the home office collect the monies. It's a nonprofit foundation, and we get unrestricted educational grants from all of the vaccine manufacturers who then leave us alone, and we conduct the campaign, and we never use a brand name. We just promote immunizations according to the CDC recommendations. How are we doing in immunizing our uninsured diabetics? Most public health departments will provide influenza vaccine. It's not the favorite thing they do, but they do do that. And so you've got to stay tuned to when your local health department holds their influenza vaccination clinics. Most influenza vaccine is given in the private sector by physicians, clinics. It's sometimes given in an occupational setting and the like. But health departments do that also, and they'll give it to the uninsured free. Bill, besides washing our hands and sneezing into our elbows, what else can we as physicians do to kind of help insulate our diabetics from getting the flu and, and keeping them out of our office and getting it from people in our waiting room. Yeah, exactly. The thing that we do in our clinics is tell all of our high-risk patients that if during flu season they start to come down with an influenza-like illness, that's the time to call us. Remember, those are the folks who are most at risk of getting the complications. And then, and this varies from doctor to doctor, we'll have a discussion with them about whether or not they should get one of the neuraminidase inhibitors, you know, the antivirals. And I find that the docs here at Vanderbilt tend to reserve those for the people really at high risk of complications. There's a big discussion about whether we should be using neuraminidase inhibitors more. I'm just describing what's happening at the moment. Will they even give them out over the phone, or do they make them come in and document that they have the flu? That varies from doctor to doctor, and what I further suspect, I haven't studied this, in the middle of a brisk influenza outbreak, they're less necessary to come in and be seen. And, you know, you don't want to spread it in the office or clinic setting, 
And if it really sounds like influenza has struck that patient, they're happy to write a prescription. I guess the last question, Bill, would be, when do you worry in your diabetic that does have the flu that they are developing a, a secondary complication and throw them on antibiotics? It's mostly duration of illness and then the development, particularly of some new symptom, chest pain, new sputum, purulent sputum, particularly purulent nasal drainage for, from sinusitis. Anything like that is usually an alert. On that note, Dr. William Schaffner, thanks for joining us. Larry, it was a pleasure. We've been discussing the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases campaign to increase vaccination rates in our diabetics. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to a special series focused on diabetes on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening. 